If I told you I had a story needing to be heard, would you tell it? Better yet, if you knew your story could help someone else, would you share it? Today, my guest is Darla Thomas. Today, with all the craziness that's going on with the passing of George Floyd, we're going to get a little bit further into a life of being a mother and a biracial child. But now this child is an adult. And I love to break stigmas and educate people and, of course, give hope. Hi, I'm Christine Hotchkiss, and I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprint, that puts us on the path of our journey. Some call it purpose. Each story can help, heal, educate, inspire, and, of course, my one word, give hope. Welcome, Darla. Hi, Christine. It is a pleasure to talk to you after we already established nine years of being Facebook friends and not actually having a conversation in real life. So thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, inviting me. It's an honor to be with you today. I appreciate that. You know, um, as we know, everyone is being um, affected not only of the COVID-19, but now we've got some, some hate going on, being locked up, and some things that have taken place that should not have taken place. And one of them is a gentleman by the name of George Floyd, a black man who has lost his life and uh, unnecessarily. And um, because our viewers can't see you, you're a white female, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. And you have a son, which is biracial, who is... You had a great phrase earlier. You said he's biracial, but he's seen as a black man. Absolutely. So tell me where the story begins as to, um, well, first of all, you live in what state? Kentucky. Kentucky. And um, your high school sweetheart was your son's father, is that what I remember? No, okay. No, we divorced. My high school sweetheart was a black man. And when I was 20 years old, we were married and we moved to New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay, we stayed down there for about three or four years. We were married seven or eight years all told, but we divorced. Okay. And I met my son's father, who was from there. Okay. He was older than me. I was in my 20s, and he was already 40-something years old. So he was born in 1940. He had grown up in New Orleans from 1940 off and on until then. He had lived in California, but he, and that's another story. But anyway... He uh, told me all about police brutality, mm. and I didn't understand that because being this little white girl from Kentucky, I was taught that the police were there to protect and to serve. Mm-hmm. And when he would tell me, I was like, that can't be true. You know, the police in my town are good people. That's all I knew of them. I so, never had any association with police. So I want to say just before, just in the very beginning here, I want everyone that's listening to know that this isn't about um, the police being bad or the things that the media no. is capturing, but the actual real life of your life being in the setting that we're, I think history is broken and it needs to be fixed some way, somehow, instead of the hate continuously recycling. So this isn't about hate on any anyone in uniform, and it's definitely not a hate on the color of the skin, which is something I want to break that stigma of, but it's the fact that whether you're of color, 
um, white, Asian, Mexican, we all still have the same lives, still things that happen to us that are the same. The only difference is the color of our skin and how we conduct our lives. So I want to let our listeners know this isn't about going one over the other. This is the reality of someone's life. And yours is a, is a mix, most definitely, with you being a white female and your life that you've raised, a wonderful son, and the life that you grew up as a child. So I'll let you continue your story from there because the sadness for me is hearing the brutality that we are now seeing with the riots going on as well. Right. So so you you lived in all this stuff and and you right. raised your son and you were in a relationship of, of I'm going to sound, I don't want to ever sound ignorant, so always correct me, fear. The fear of the brutality, the fear of not just the, the people in uniform, but just society, too. Not being accepted on what we think is the norm, which I don't even know what the norm is anymore. Um, right. So share with us again. So you met it's, this gentleman. The same, let me interrupt you, but yes. what is my norm is not your norm. Correct. And what is your norm is not my mother-in-law's norm or my ex-husband or my son's father or... My son, in fact, yeah. you know, it's it's different for each one of us. Even though we're all one and the same, we're all humans. Mm-hmm. But it's the way that everything is viewed through the eyes of a, you know, um, well, what my son's father told me one time was there is European eyes of beauty and there's African eyes of beauty. And I'm like, what does that mean? Me, yeah, what is he that? He said, you know, when you look... Okay, when when a white person looks at someone for beauty, they look through European eyes. We see, and I'm not saying all of us, I'm saying in general. Okay. We see the person with the long pointed nose and the high cheekbones and the pretty hair and the nice body. We see them as beautiful. Okay. And then African eyes of beauty would be someone with a wider nose, fuller lips, darker skin. See, African eyes of beauty, see, that, that way. And see, what I'm, I guess I was born, I don't know, crazy. <laughs> but I, I see beauty in everybody. I've got a nephew who is as white as snow. He has the whitest white hair. He's white, and I love that kid with all my heart. I've got a little niece whose mother is Mexican, and that's my nephew's child. And she's as tan and beautiful and has black hair. And then I've got a nephew who is biracial, and he's darker skin with curly hair. And every one of them are gorgeous to me. They're just all like God's children, and they're gorgeous. I agree. You know. Oh. So then share with us the the growing up. Um, you had mentioned um, your son's name is Malcolm, correct? Yes. So Malcolm's dad was the one that educated you on what you just shared with us. Um, yes. Share with me um, what your life was. I mean, this was your norm. So, and I'm not as sure. As far as growing up? Well, growing up and raising your son, being biracial, because unfortunately this has been something for years, and I, I just... I don't like that there's such a division all because the color of someone's skin, but that's me, or or love uh, that someone may find in one person and not in another, um, whether, right. you know, and we talked about that, too. Um, yeah. Growing up, 
I would come home and talk about my friends at school. And my mother would ask me, well, what does she look like? Oh. And I would never tell. <laughs> I was so defiant. I would never tell my mom that she was brown skin. I would say, oh, she has the prettiest eyes. Well, what color are they? Well, mom, I hadn't been in her face close enough to know <laughs> for sure. But I would never tell my mother that this was a young black girl mm-hmm. that I was friends with. But that same young lady who I was friends with at 12 today will tell people, Darla loved us when nobody else did. Mm. When our school closed and we had to go to their school, Darla stood up for us. Darla loved us and cared about us. I would die for any of them. I would die for any kid, black, white, or, you know, we didn't have Mexican kids growing up around here. We didn't have Asian kids much. There was one family who was, uh, the dad had married a Filipino lady, a lady from the Philippines. And, you know, their children were biracial. But we didn't have a lot, like in uh, Los Angeles or, you know, a city. And anyway, um, but I wouldn't tell her. I wouldn't tell my mom. And she would just get so frustrated with me. But she had a lady come here on Thursday mornings to iron. And her name was Emma. And Emma was black. And I would fake being sick so I could stay home and spend time with Emma. And she would listen to me. My mother would never listen to me. I was, a, you know, I talked all the time, and she was too busy for me, and she had things to do, and whatever, whatever. But Emma would sit back there, and then I'd talk about all the kids I was friends with, and she would tell me the ones to stay away from. She would tell me about, especially the boys. She'd say, now, now darling, he's too old for you. I'm like, we're in the same grade. Yeah, but he's almost 16, and you're just 12. Leave him alone. He's an adult almost. Oh, no. She would tell me. Yeah, she would tell me things like that. So, you know, I spent time with Emma, and my love for a person of color came from that time that I spent with Emma. Every Thursday, I'd stay home. Finally, my mother was like, you stay home every Thursday. So, you know what I find? I'm really sick. You know what you're talking about when you're a child, and and I'm and I'm paying attention to the society that we've got going on and has been for I'm 50. I actually grew up with Mexicans around me in a in a in a neighborhood. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, so mine was different. I was around the Mexicans being a white girl because that's just what was going on in my life. Uh-huh. So I truly. And I don't care if anyone disagrees with me or not at this statement, but I really feel firm about this. I'm standing firm on this one is we are taught how to treat one another. And I really think that the things that you just shared with me, obviously they, they were opposite of mine, opposite of yours, that you were not taught the color of someone's skin made you different. I didn't hear anything you were talking about. The color of the skin was being a different person that you couldn't accept into your life. That was a person that was in your life regardless. I think a lot of that came from something deep inside of me. Okay. Because, you know, my family, my mother and dad, my dad, oh, my gosh. When I started dating, Butch was my high school sweetheart. When I started dating him, oh, my dad would threaten to kill him. And I knew he wasn't going to. Daddy wasn't going to jail. I was just laughing, going about my business, but I didn't let him know I was dating. I kept that secret, you know. I couldn't let I couldn't let Daddy know, you know, because 
I don't know what his friends might would have done. I knew him, and I knew he would threaten, but I knew he wasn't going to do anything. But his friends might have. I'm like, some of those guys are crazy, you know. But I don't know. It was just like something deep inside of me had a love that was for everybody. You know, it didn't matter. And, you know, when people say, I hate this word of being colorblind. Because I don't see myself as colorblind. I see black people. I see white people. I see Hispanics. I see Asian. I see the whole gamut. And it's all of it's beautiful. It's like I have been friends with people who were so white, they looked like me, but they were black. And I've also been, you know, in New Orleans, they thought I was black. Because I had a black husband. See, I got this wavy hair. It used to be brown. It's not brown today. It's gray. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they 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 did. I had a black husband, so I must be black. Mm. But then I thought, that's crazy. But then I start meeting people who looked like me or whiter than me who were black. And, I mean, it's just like I, I've known people that were as white as me who were black, who were as black as night who were just friends, and I loved them. I went to so, high school in, um, well, we moved around quite a bit, but in uh, Florida. Um, one, okay. So there was a, a guy that was there, and he was African-American, but his skin was white with yes. the curly hair. And that, yes. I think, was my first introduction of, a, a man of color, but was a color. It's like, how do you define color in, and not be ignorant when you say it? So I, I, I don't want to sound ignorant by no means, but he was the nicest person. And I didn't see color. Just like I said, I grew up in the, in the northern part of the States where I was around Mexicans. Again, I'm a white girl. It's just all the different areas of the United States that I had lived in, there was different people, obviously, and it, nothing has changed. But, yeah, so when you talk yeah. about someone saying they're African-American, are they looking at the skin? Are they looking at the hair? Are they looking at the details? Are they looking at the person's soul? Are they looking at the person themselves? Yeah. Mm. A lot right. to be said there. That's true. If, here's one for you. If none of us could see, would we still have this hate about color? You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a deep question. It's true because there are people who are blind who don't see and you don't hear their prejudice. That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you think where where does all this hate come from? It's yeah. Why? I mean, that's my question for sixty five years. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you hate somebody because of the color of their skin? And I can remember telling my son that we have to teach granddaddy, my dad. That, that love comes in all colors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he, my dad loved my son. He passed away about 18 years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. But when we we moved from New Orleans back to Western Kentucky when my son was three, and, I mean, I would watch him and my dad together, and I'm like, that man really loves me. He really, truly loves me as his daughter. And what came to my senses was he didn't hate me because of who I dated. He didn't want me to get hurt. He didn't want people to mistreat me because of my choices. Mm-hmm. But he loved my son and all the kids in the family. There was about 12 of them. 
Let's see, Malcolm's granddaddy's favorite. Yep, he sure is. Because he's, you know, he would spend time with him and he would encourage him and he would talk to him and treat him with respect. And he taught him about being in uh, uh, the Philippines during World War II. And I'm like, dang, Daddy, you never told me that. <laughs> he said, well, you're a girl. That was his thing. I was the girl. You're the girl. He had three sons and me, and I was the girl. Don't, you don't teach girls all that stuff. Uh-huh. But he's a young man. He needs to know this stuff, you know. Now, how old is but, Malcolm? 36. 36. I have a stepdaughter that's 36. And yeah. um, I'm going to assume he is uh, successful with his mama treating him and teaching him that there's no limitations, regardless of how society looks at you, being I'm different, you're different, anybody's different. My son was... We knew from the time he was like three and a half, he was a genius. Um, and I don't just say that because he's my son. <laughs> we were watching a movie, and he told me and my mom, he said, if that happened to me, I would I would hyperventilate. And I'm like, what? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. He said, you know when you get a paper bag and put over your face and breathe in it? And I'm like, mother, he knows what it means. Wow. He was three and a half. And I was like, i got to get a dictionary and start learning some new words. <laughs> Because I know I'm smart, but this kid is genius level smart. Yeah. And he would use words that I didn't understand. I didn't know what he was talking about. He was never challenged in school, going through, you know, grade school and high school and all that. And finally, when he was a junior and had already failed one year because of uh, staying sick all the time, I told him, you're quitting, you're getting your GED, and you're moving on. I'm tired of fighting you about school. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. He made almost 700 points out of 800 on the GED test. Sounds like my son. The school systems just wasn't challenging him enough. He ended up testing out as well. Yeah. Well, then so good, his Mama. friend would, you know, I, I worked for the state of Kentucky in a girls group home. And, you know, I did well. I had good benefits. I had a good income for around here. I wouldn't have made it in New York City, but as for around here, I did fine. And his friend's dad was a doctor, and they would travel all the time, him, mom and dad and the son, to different schools to see, check out schools. And I'll never forget, Aaron came in and he said, and see, Malcolm was going to go to culinary arts school. He was going to be a chef. And by this time in his life, on his own restaurant in the whole nine yards, and Aaron came in and he said, Darla, if you have to borrow the money, take him to this school in Florida and go on this school tour. It's a weekend tour, and it costs $500. And I was like, Malcolm, do you want to do this? He said, well, can we get the money? I borrowed the money from my mother. And we went to that school. It was called Full Sail Real World Education in Winter Park, Florida. We went for that weekend, and everything he looked at, he's like, Mom, this is what I want to do. Mom, this is what I want to do. Mom, this is what I want to do. I said, do you want to go into computer animation? He said, yes, Mom. This is Christine, his name is in the, the credits for 20 movies. Oh, wow. The Star Wars movies. Really? He has been so successful. Sometimes I just get tears in my eyes thinking about, that was my little boy. My I t- little boy did that. I tell He's my a grown son- man, but he's still in my heart. 
I totally, you know, I totally can relate to that statement. I tell my son who's almost 26 and he's very mature for his age too, because of what had happened in our life with the loss of my daughter passing away at the age of 17 due to us being into an accident. And it's just one of those, you know, you done good when they just keep moving forward. Like you'd mentioned earlier, just keep moving forward, take the test and keep moving forward. And it does make you proud and it's okay to say it makes you proud, but, um, so congratulations to Malcolm that he is doing what Absolutely. He, you promoted him Absolutely. to do, you supported him to do, no matter his age. So should he ever hear this, I'm, I've never met him, I may never meet him, but good job to him as well. Um, well, I want to tell you something. I told a lady in New Orleans, when he was, for the first 15 or 16 months of his life, I was able to stay home with him. And anyway, we would... I would put him in the stroller and we'd walk around the neighborhood every day. We'd go for our walk and all that. And this little old white lady who looked like she's about 75 or 80 years old, she said, is that your baby? She's real <laughs> hateful and smart. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, ma'am, he is. I'm trying to be respectful. And she said, well, I never. And I said, and I never either. <laughs> I never had someone question me about whether this is my child or not. Oh. And I said, but besides that, he is a descendant of an African king. She could. She didn't know what to say. <laughs> and see, that's the kind of things I try to put in his mind, even right. from a young age, right. that he was a descendant of an African king. I didn't know where his dad's people came from. They might have been Caribbean. I know they were Creole from New Orleans, mm-hmm. but I would put those thoughts in his mind. And as a young child, I had him sit and look in the mirror and tell me, what do you see? And he said, I see a black boy. And I said, that's exactly right. That's how the world will see you. Right. They won't see me. No. They won't see daddy. No. They will see you. Mm-hmm. And you have to do double time to teach the people that there is good in all colors. I agree. I agree. You know, I, and I started out um, with saying how it doesn't matter what our uh, skin color is. Um, we all have the same struggles. No one is exempt from blessings or tragedy or pain. Um, and I think that's where I get hurt when I see the, the stupidity that's going on with the, with the riots that have got so much hate that they don't realize that they're looking at one Pair, through one pair of eyes versus when, like you just said about your son or me just being white. There are people who don't, obviously, don't like white people. They don't like Asians. They don't like Mexicans. They don't like... There's unnecessary hate going on, but it seems as though, and I don't know where this is, and I, I hope before I die that it, that it gets resolved, that no one looks at someone saying, because you're this color, I don't like you. Well, I don't remember there being a list that says, like a menu that I want to have this color hair, this height, this skin color, these hips, this language. I don't recall that being part of our birth. All right. I know is that I was born this way, and if you dislike me this way, that's not on me, that's on you. But but the way yeah. the society has put things is no one realizes, when I would say no one, people that have this, this anger in them don't realize that we all have the same things going on in our lives, regardless regardless of where we're living, what our language is, what our skin color is. Um, that's true. Real briefly here, you had mentioned to me in a conversation off uh, off of our podcast here that you uh-huh. had lost a nephew 
um, that was murdered. And we don't have to say the great detail, but I guess I want to say it as a point to what I just said about we all have lives that we're going through celebrations and everything. The point for me is you had someone that was murdered, and um, that nephew was also uh, uh, black, correct? And his mom? No, he was white. He was murdered by a black man. Okay. But his it wasn't. Mother... Go ahead. Pardon? I was going to say, but it wasn't a hate crime like we're seeing. It was something like anyone else's lives when it came to a situation. It was, it was more of domestic violence. He was 17, my great-nephew, and he heard his mother and her ex-boyfriend arguing, fighting, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was early in the morning. He got up and went to the living room to see about his mother, to defend his mom. Mm-hmm. And this man killed him right there in their house. And then he took the mother, he kidnapped her and took her to Ohio and killed her on the side of the highway. Oh, my dear. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't happen to us, my family. Right. That doesn't happen to people in my town. Right. That doesn't happen here. Right. It does. And more and more and more, we had people come to us. Don't you remember my cousin? Don't you remember your you know, your third cousin, don't you remember my sister, don't you remember this, and it's like coming back to you, oh yeah, y'all been through this too, mm-hmm. you went through the same hurt, you went through the same pain, right. it was more of domestic violence, right. it wasn't, a, a Terry Froman didn't kill my niece and her son because he was black, he killed him because he was evil. Right, anger, his own anger. So, and that's what I wanted yes. to share with our listeners because we see the media that, and I think the media, and we won't get into the great deal, don't always say what really needs to be said. They, it's almost like they, they get whatever they need to get paid to do what they're doing. And there are some media out there, I don't want to go bad, because there's good and bad in every single thing and every single person. And sure. the media, if you believe in everything that it's being provided to you, you're going to believe whatever it is that you are within your life. Uh-huh. But um, you just shared a story where it was completely the other way around, where it was a black gentleman that killed a white. And so uh-huh. we won't hear of that. And that's what I want. I hope that changes one day before I die. It's not about the color. It's about we all have the same things going on in our lives, whether it's yeah. joy or sadness, for sure. Um uh-huh. Thank you for sharing that with me, and thank you for sharing um, the little bit of stories that make me have a different view on life, because every person I meet, there's always something that's great to be heard. Um, uh-huh. I love to ask this last question. Um, okay. What message would you like to leave everyone um, with either the journey of your life or just life in general? You know, I can't remember the man's name. I want to say Lynn Manuel something. <laughs> when he, re- I've forgotten his the whole part of his name. I do that, but anyway, he when he received an Academy Award, and he said, "Love is love, is love is love." That is so true. I'm getting goosebumps right now just saying that. <laughs> but you know, I think about that in watching my godchild when she got married to her partner. You know, they loved each other. They wanted to be committed. They wanted to be together. That's love. When I married my husband, when I was with my son's father, you know, I didn't think about all the 
I guess, hell that my child would go through because I loved his dad so much and I wanted to have him and I thought that my love for him would overcome everything because it was so great. Mm -hmm. But then I had to face reality and know that there's still some hate in the world and my love is not going to overcome everything. But I want to say, don't judge because you're not God, but love because we do come from God. Oh, wow. That gave me chills because that's a very true statement. You know, and and you've mentioned Malcolm's dad a few times, but I didn't ask. um, Is he still around or did? No, he passed away when Malcolm was 12 in um, 1996, I think it was. So there's another story. He had bone cancer. He had multiple myeloma bone cancer. Okay. So there was another. I wish he was still around to see how successful our son has been, how well he's done in life, you know. You know, because because of Forrest, I believe that um, that's where Malcolm's love for movies came from because he would record movies and send them to him for the VHS tapes. Oh, I still have mine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he would send a little box of tapes because he had HBO and... Cinemax and all these different, you know, movie channels and stuff. And we didn't have that. So he would send him recordings. And Malcolm would sit with his little computer. This is when he's 9 and 10, 11 years old. And he would categorize everything according to the type of movie it was, the actors, the directors, the producers. And I'm like, man, he really loves doing that. I'm pretty sure that that's why he's doing it. And real quickly, because we have to wrap up, what is Malcolm's dad's name? His name is Forrest Gustav, Thank G-U-S-T-A-V-E. Thank you. And some that. people in, in New Orleans, they say Gustav, but we always say Gustav. Thank you for sharing his name and, and his legacy that obviously is living through your son and his son. Absolutely. Um, all right. Thank you again, Darla, for being my guest. Thank you, Christine, for having me. Absolutely. Again, thank you. No, my pleasure. Thank you again for being my guest, sharing your story to help, to heal, inspire, educate, and to give hope. To my listeners, I thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you are notified about the next great story because these just keep getting better and better. And if you'd like to share your story or know someone who wants to share their story or you want to be anonymous, please feel free to send me an email to the address of Christine with a C-H at storiesofhope.com and that's stories with a Y and if you'd love to be a sponsor again reach out to me to the address of Christine at storiesofhope.com and until next time everyone I wish you well and you take care